right, welcome back to the Jig is Up. Of course, my name's Darcy, and uh, joining me as always is Jason. Hey, buddy, how's it going? Good. A little bit snowy, a little bit crazy this week. Holy cow. Yes, we have had a fair bit of snow here in uh, the Calgary area as well. And uh, I don't know, tonight's show, is there, I don't know, Did did there was there much happening this week in the Métis world, do you figure? I don't know. Barely a peep. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was on... Sarcasm at its height. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, I think over the last five days, I've gotten more notifications than over the last eight months out of between Facebook, Twitter. <laughs> it's been insane. I haven't seen Métis prominent in this many conversations on so many social platforms in a long time. Yes, so we're going to be hashing through a lot of this stuff, and uh, I hope people are prepared. And I'm, I've got my get, your, uh, get that big extra big teapot out. Find your favorite mug, saddle in. It could be a long show. Absolutely, I've got my uh, my rum and uh, coke sitting here. I'm ready to go, man. <laughs> <laughs> so. Let's start. Let's uh, let's get into this stuff. Uh, I want to start with some, <laughs> it's funny enough, small stuff. Uh, the Métis Federation, Manitoba Métis Federation, tried to get an injunction against one of their deals that, with Hydro that was cancelled. Uh, they were trying to get an injunction to, to stop the cancellation. And uh, that, was, that was the $20 million deal that they're trying to get an injunction for. Yeah. And uh, it was rejected by the court wholeheartedly. Yeah, they're of course not going. I mean, that was a no-brainer. You, it, you can't get an injunction against the deal going sideways. So, um, clearly, that must have been a good line item on the budget that they were able to pay for such frivolous use of lawyers. Yeah, what I thought was uh, really good about this article, though, was uh, the description of the reaction from the Manitoba Métis Federation president David Chartrand, in which they described it: he shot out of his seat, was the first to exit court Wednesday after the Court of Queen's Bench dismissed the group's request to block the planned cancellation of the agreement. Um, <laughs> he said, uh, oh, uh, I was definitely conveying that there was there is irreparable harm. Um, they look at it more as a business relationship. This is about Indigenous rights. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Which... We've talked about before, this is not about Indigenous rights, this is about an energy deal, which, uh, you know, is is just about a payment of money, Um, to which the government responded, we had the right to terminate, so. Yeah, it was a business deal, they were, you know, if, at the very worst, there was duty to consult that they were being paid for, and the government, you know, backed out of the deal. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know what it has to do with rights as it does with with that that end of it. Yeah, so he he uh he said that um this is an attack on the Métis nation uh and, and infringes on our constitutionally protected rights. So I will just leave that as it is. They lost. They're going to lose in court because there was a clause in these agreements that said they could get out with 30 days written notice from what I understand. So I I just don't, they're going to spend $5 million in court for what? I don't know. Um, But hey, they're going to try, right? Well, they got the money in the budget to spend on lawyers. So hey, why not? Absolutely. Now, now let's move on to uh, 
a little bigger news. Uh, the Métis Nation of Ontario is uh, placed on probation from the Métis National Council. <laughs> what was your first and and first yeah, thoughts and reaction that to that? Was a dropper. A little bit of a close vote on that one. I was a little bit uh, surprised. Still passed though. Yeah, um, yeah. Which was uh, a bit of a shock. It it was uh, it was a bit of a shock. I I actually did not expect this to happen coming out of the Métis National Council meeting. I expected them to be you know, a little bit pissed off because these guys are developing new or finding new uh, Métis uh, Pauli certified communities within Ontario, but I didn't actually expect them to get probation or suspension or whatever that is that they got. Well, I, I think that, you know, I talked about this in a previous show some months back when uh, I can't remember which community was right uh, near the Quebec border was able to get recognition as a historic Métis community. Yeah. That we could see that there was going to be some division uh, in the winds. Um, you know, if, if you had asked me back then, would it lead to an outright suspension of the MNO? Uh, probably not. You know, that, that seems a, uh, a fairly drastic move on the MNC's part. But, hey, <laughs> that's what how it worked, I guess. Well, that's right. And, and I, I think it, uh, you know, for me, I, I can definitely see how it's a power struggle. The MNC is trying to show that, no, we're the ones who determine these things. And so it's, to me, it's more of a power play than it really, than anything. It's somebody got their nose out of joint, the MNO overstepped their bounds, and uh, the MNC is going to ensure that they get uh, put in their place. Well, I, I think it's even more than that because the MNO doesn't really have jurisdiction over whether a community passes poly or not. Yeah. Um, if a community, any community anywhere in Canada, meets the poly criteria as set out within that uh, province or territory, then the, then the government's going to approve it. Um, and so we have this community that stepped forward and stepped up and passed the test. Now that put that immediately, I believe, put the MNO in a, a really hard place because the MNO, if it wants to maintain its position as the organization in Ontario that represents, you know, all rights holding Métis people, then it doesn't have a choice but to accept that poly approved community. Absolutely. And and this is where I think they've uh, painted themselves into a bit of a corner when they've championed Powley decision for the past 15 years so hard, is that now, now they have to accept the fact that uh, communities that are outside their boundary, if the Supreme Court of Canada determines that they meet the Powley criteria, or, or any court really, uh, well, you're stuck with it now. They're a Métis or a recognized Powley community. And I think that's what, uh, more than anything, I think that's what bothers the Métis Nation or Métis National Council. And I think they're starting to see, oh, this wasn't such a good thing for us. Oh, oops. But yet on their websites and everything else, they still have it on there that, you know, the Pauli decision was a great victory for the Métis Nation. And uh, Well, I think that, that leads directly into this dichotomy of setting up why the MNO had to, to embrace this community and that why it immediately put the MNC on its back foot is, is because yeah. of the definition of Métis. And I think that is, you have totally seen over, over the lead up to this, this declaration of suspension, the absolute redefining uh, promotion using non-indigenous book writers to now wholeheartedly go after what it does it mean to be mating? What does that word mean? Well, absolutely. 
And so I think that's what this is going to boil down to is they might say, oh, sure, that's a poly test uh, community in Ontario, but they can't call themselves Métis. Well, and, and I think this conversation leads into the whirlwind of, of uh, just unbelievable stuff that's happened over the past little while. Um, I wanted to play a quick clip of the Métis Nation of Ontario's response to um, them being, I guess, put on probation. So I'll just play that real quick here. Dear MNO citizens, as you may have heard, the Métis National Council General Assembly this week passed several resolutions, and we've heard real concerns from our citizens. Nothing that has happened this week at the Assembly changes these facts. The MNO is the home of the Pali case, affirming Section 35 rights for Métis. The MNO has been advancing Métis rights over the last quarter of a century. Some citizens have asked if this means that they've just lost their citizenship or lost their harvesting rights. The answer is absolutely not. This will not stop the MNO's drive to advance rights and our drive to advance self-government for Métis in Ontario. Our relationships with Canada and with Ontario remain solid. We will continue with our mandate to advance Métis rights. Some have also asked if this means that we are leaving the Métis National Council. As you all know, our relationship with the MNC is embedded in our statement of prime purpose. We'll absolutely need to discuss this with leadership and with all of you this would be a decision that we would need to make together. More information is going to be coming to you throughout the day, and we'll be speaking with all of you on these issues in the coming days. Thank you. Merci. So that was, uh, that was an interesting statement. Um, I think it, one, one other thing that's interesting out of that for me is the fact that they're, they're actually going to maybe take it to their citizens or their members to determine whether they stay with the Métis National Council. Yeah, which, which is the whole point. I mean, that's their the level of bureaucracy. <clears throat> and I, I think, though, that uh, they're pretty much set. Uh, the, the one thing that also came out of that uh, General Assembly of the MNC, uh, which I think was going to put the MNO in a really tough place, I don't think how they could stay, is the issuing of my next favorite thing that happened this week. <laughs> Can you guess what it was? I'm going to say the map. The, the great blue blob map. The great and wonderful homeland map that they've, in 2018, have finally determined their traditional homeland. <laughs> yeah, so, again, we... And I, I think that really, if there was a question about whether the MNO was going to stay or not, or whether they were going to be accepted or not, is the uh, adaptation of this new map. Absolutely, because it it encompasses 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 a little bit of, I think it's Treaty Three area, and then there's a little bit in kind of the north, um, that would be northwesterly part of Ontario, but about ninety eight percent of Ontario is excluded out of that map. On the other side of the coast, uh, you have almost probably I would say probably about ninety five percent of BC is is excluded from that map, so. Kind of have it on both ends where they've kind of eliminated the two provinces with the fewest amount of votes in the Métis National Council have essentially more or less been eliminated, really. Yeah, I mean, it really, they've put uh, BC Métis on notice that uh, they're next on the chopping block. Um, yeah, I think the only reason BC is included at all is because there's no treaties and no Métis community there 
has, uh, to my understanding anyway, passed a BC version of a Pauli test. Yeah. So it's, and I mean, this, this thing sparked a huge amount of backlash online, not even just with Métis. It was, it was pretty loud amongst the Blackfoot, um, where I'm at here in Treaty 7 territory. It was not appreciated, I would say, by a lot, by most people. Well, I would say, yeah, definitely by the, the Blackfoot nation there, the, the people we saw on social media this week were, uh, less than, uh, thrilled. <laughs> well, and you know, I, I, I understand like there was a lot of people just trying to say, well, you know, this isn't a land claim map. It's just a map of where they figure Métis were and blah, blah, blah. And I get that, and I'm not de- denying anybody the ability to, to identify themselves with a certain geographic area. If you're Métis and you want to say, no, this homeland map represents my family very well, that's great. But what people, I think, what the problem that I've, I've had with this, and I've said this repeatedly in different uh, you know, Facebook uh, chats that I've had with people, is it's not the actual claiming of an area like as a homeland for the people. My problem is, is people aren't seeing what this is going to mean in five years for the Métis National Council. And so we've seen the Manitoba Métis Federation sign deals for energy and things like that. We've had, we've seen them tell uh, grand chiefs in Manitoba, well, you guys don't own the land. We've seen them be the indigenous consultation for government and industry. And by including Treaty 7 territory, which may I remind our our listeners that the Métis Nation of Alberta publicly stated that if you have Blackfoot blood, you are not Métis and never will be. So I think by including it, it's almost kind of an insult. Um, And I've I've seen just a world of of excuses as to why it was included. Uh, I don't know. Did you see any of those, uh, anybody's attempt to explain why it was included, Jay? Oh, I've seen several. I mean, there's all kinds of things about... Uh, you know, trying to provide yourself with some security and understanding about where your ancestors came from and where Métis migrated and settled to. And, you know, the Blue Blob map is just a an overview of Métis, you know, comings and goings, if you will. Um, all I all of that I find is, you know, kind of a BS situation. I think, to be quite honest, the reality is what is the purpose of a map? You don't make a map unless you're purposely trying to, you know, claim territory. It's well, not a general guideline. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're kind of going to dig into why this is, to me, such a serious thing. But as an example, one of the, one, a Blackfoot person that I know and I follow on social media, their response was, no offense to my Métis friends, but Métis homeland is not in Blackfoot territory. That's why there's no settlements south of Red Deer. Read a history book on Treaty 7 and Crowfoot's reasons for wanting to sign. And uh, I think that was a very, very good point to make. Um, I had people trying to justify it with me that, uh, you know, Métis moved to Treaty 7 territory, so that's mm-hmm. why it was included, to which I responded, oh, well... You get, yeah. Why, you get population censuses from a certain year that shows Métis people yeah. were of a, a higher percentage than other people yeah. in that year, and man, that frosts my cookies pretty quick. Well, it, um, it, it's hypocritical. You, you say, well, yeah, but Métis moved back to Quebec, too. Like, a lot of French Métis moved from Red River to Quebec to be back with their families. Oh, that doesn't yeah. account. 
we're not we're we're talking communities, not just random populations of people. Well, then why was Blackfoot territory included? Well, because there was random populations of people. <laughs> it's it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Well, and I think that the big problem too is is we think that, and I think the Blackfoot is an excellent example of this, is that if Métis people moved somewhere and lived somewhere, that them living and settling there is, in the colonial sense, exerting um, control. Yeah. And then if you exert control over an area, that makes it part of your territory. And that that, that simply never happened. Absolutely. You know, and, and I think that that's a real rewrite of history, and I don't care whether that's the Blackfoot territory or the Nakota Sioux territory or the Cree territory, Blackfoot territory, the Métis people, as they moved out of uh, Batoche into Alberta specifically, never exerted control over another indigenous group's territory. Yeah. And that's a, that's a fact. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, that's the real danger of what they've done is now they're claiming this as their homeland. So let's move forward five years and the government says, Hey, we're going to, we're reigniting that pipeline debate. Who do you think are going to be the first ones to sign on? The Métis National Council. They've already said, hey, with that Indigenous Framework Agreement, we're going to go it alone. We don't care about First Nations. Who gives a, a shit? They, they can sign or not sign. We don't care. We're signing. Now, from a colonial perspective, uh, you're, as a government, you're going to have this one group that signed on, and they're Indigenous. And they're recognized as Indigenous. And they're rights holders. They've signed on to the agreement, and they have this homeland they've claimed. Well, you know, we're already paying them. Who are we going to go to now when we want to get a yes? We're going to go to the guys we pay, who have this massive homeland over the three provinces with arguably the most resources. <laughs> it's Well, when yeah, when we're talking energy development and oil and gas specifically, I mean, where does 90% of all that come from? Yeah. And I think... It'll be interesting as the days progress. I'd really love to know uh, what uh, some of the, the Cree nations feel like. Um, what what are what is the Nakota Sioux? We're up where I live. Uh, yeah. What's their position? Yeah. Because I just see this mindset of Métis people settling somewhere, then definitively gives them that as a homeland. Anywhere they settled, anywhere they built the house is then their territory. Yes. And and that's that's the thing. Like if if this was done with First Nations in those territories and done in conjunction with that and agreements were in place prior to coming out with this map, totally different story, completely different. Mm-hmm. But that's not what happened and as as innocent as they're trying to promote this, this is going to become a problem. And it's going to become a problem not for me and Jason. We're not it's not going to be a problem for us. It's going to become a problem for the Cree, the Blackfoot, and, and anybody else that has a ter- uh, traditional territory in that homeland. It's going to become a problem. And uh, Well, and I think it already is becoming a problem and because of its perceived effect. And, yes. and more than resource development yeah, and more than those kinds of things, um, many in the First Nations community that I saw on Facebook this week and Twitter we're deeply concerned that by including areas that Métis people didn't settle and didn't settle till after treaties were signed, does that mean that that for Métis people living there now, that any monies that managed to trickle down from the government 
you know, our First Nations relations are going to lose that or have to split that with a population that came after treaty signing. Exactly. You know, and that, that's a huge concern they have is that their territory is being usurped by an, you know, after treaty signing indigenous group. And that somehow this is going to mean funding problems for things they're already having problems with. Yes. No, absolutely. And I mean, you got to think too, like, like you said, there's, it's, it goes well beyond just uh, energy. I mean, I think they're going to start signing up energy deals like we've seen in Manitoba and like we've seen them jump on board with every energy pipeline and everything that they can possibly jump on board with. Right or wrong, they don't consult with First Nations whatsoever before they'd make that decision. Um, here in Alberta, the Métis Nation of Alberta is uh, in negotiations with the province for the past year to get harvesting rights province-wide. The, now, the province of Alberta, I know for a fact, is very much pushing that no Métis south of Red Rear will get harvesting rights because the, they've already gone through this province-wide harvesting rights and it was the Blackfoot that led the charge to get that removed through the court system, mm-hmm. and, and they won. And But now if they claim this as their homeland, are they going to reignite those same things? Are you going to see those? And they're already in those, in those talks. So it's not just energy. It's exerting your harvesting rights on territory that wasn't traditionally yours and that they themselves admit that if you have that mixed blood in you, you're not Métis. You cannot possibly be Métis. Well, then how is that Métis homeland? <laughs> it's... Um, and one of the funniest things I, I read was somebody trying to say, well, this is where we originated. Well, but you guys said if you have this blood, you're not Métis, but then you say you originated there? How does that even work? That doesn't make any sense. So it's, in my opinion, it's been a huge cluster of just backpedal and try to stem the bleeding, you know, put Band-Aids well, on everything. What's funny, though, is, is your favorite professor and mine, um, yeah, who who is the big, the big chief at the the university here in Alberta? Um, you know he he was his tweet. I have it here. Where he says, "To all those who express grave concerns about how the new Métis map seems to not mention or erase First Nations territories, how many of you express similar concerns over numerous First Nations territory maps that fail to recognize Métis territory?" <laughs> You know, and the worst part is he's Dean of Indigenous Studies at the University of Alberta. Like, and so I, I think wow. at, at some point have, have Métis people forgot that, you know, in, in this MNC mantra of Métis identity politics, that Métis people are a uh, post-contact people. Yeah. <laughs> and so if, if First Nations communities decide they want to publish a pre-contact map, you're not going to see a Métis person on there. <laughs> no, I think when they say traditional territory, they mean pre-contact. I mean, that. to me, if you're teaching Indigenous studies at a university, you should kind of understand that concept. Um, it Traditional means pre-colonial, so... But, I guess... And, and that's what's hilarious in this conversation, is we have these prominent figures and academics in the, the MNC forum saying that they can publish the territorial map or their, what they consider their traditional homeland. And it can be superimposed over first nations territory because it it's theirs. And like you said, the president of the MMF was, you know, basically told the chief, 
you know, land's not yours. Yeah. And so it really is starting to show just how colonial uh, these people are and how enfranchised they've become into the colonial construct of land ownership. Absolutely. And and I think the, the one of the worst things I've noticed through all of this is a lack of general understanding of, of history. So I, I had read a comment earlier about... Um, from a Blackfoot person talking about uh, Crowfoot's reasons for not signing, and he means the you know, uh, or Crowfoot's reasons for signing, and he means the treaty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the you know one of the Métis that responded was, "Are you for referring to Crowfoot Pass region of Southern Alberta?" Um, I don't know much about Blackfoot, but I know Métis history. Uh, I've heard of settlements as far south that that far south, and it's like, dude, Crowfoot was the chief. That signed the treaty, not, and they named places after him. But so, like, you have people that don't even understand history. They don't. They don't really understand what's going on. And so, to them, this map seems totally adequate, totally justifiable, and that's a real danger in and of itself. Well, and I know, and it's a real head shaker to me. And I, I really, you know, a lot of face palms went on around my house. I must give myself a black eye. Um, <laughs> the the reality is. Like, that's what I just don't understand is is when we're talking about traditional territories, Métis people come after First Nations people. Yeah. Uh, Métis people always resided within traditional First Nations territories. Yeah. And the one thing that I think that has not got a real address with the MNC's propaganda is this concept that they hold value, that they exerted control over a certain area. And that that then makes it their own territory. So it's like saying, well, because we got guns and power through fur trade and we managed to, you know, shoot, steal, hunt the other First Nations out of this community, that made it ours. Yeah. And I, I think there's a very dangerous perspective to take. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think, like, it... I I would I would just love to to pretend this is innocent, but I mean, it, it's so very to me it's so very calculated with the, you know the the putting MNO on probation, um and coming out with this map and and their reason they said for coming out with this map, which I think is total total BS, and it's just an opportunity to capitalize on something and use fear-mongering, is that this is in a response to all of those Eastern, you know, fake Métis that are trying to t- usurp our rights and our identity. So we had to come up with this homeland map. And the truth is, is I, I don't know why in 2018 you would need to worry about a map. If you, if you had a traditional homeland, that should have been well-established long before 2018, I, I would think. But that's that's that we're reasoning, and so it's a very calculated thing to suddenly then cut out Ontario uh, and even move you know as far far away from the eastern provinces as possible. And one of the things that I I saw as a tweet was there was this magazine that is hosting an event in Ottawa next week with you know the famous APTN super professor who knows everything about Métis identity, but in, is not Indigenous himself, and another fellow uh, who's a PhD, uh, who are anti-Eastern Métis, and the, the tweet says, we're very excited to host this event in Ottawa next week uh, with these two people. Among others, we'll discuss the self-made Métis of Quebec and Ontario 
and how their identity claims affect indigenous people. So already within, I think this came out within 24 hours of this new map coming out, already they're framing Ontario as fake Métis, just like Quebec and Nova Scotia and, you know, Labrador and all the other provinces on the East Coast. Um, they're already framing Ontario as, as fake Métis. And so it's very calculated, I guess, was my whole long point with that. This is a very calculated maneuver for an Absolutely. Endgame. Well, it is. And this is a 100% calculated rollout of a quest to own the word Métis. That blue blob map, if you don't live there, then you can't be Métis. If you, don't, if you didn't pop up from the ground with ancestors that didn't predate Red River, then you can't be Métis. Yeah. And that is what this is a PR game about, you know, because we have, you know, it's like saying, oh, there's no Métis in Sault Ste. Marie. There's no Métis in, in anywhere in Ontario. Yeah. No Voyager ever had a mixed blood person that was ever described as Métis in the province of Ontario ever. So you have no right to that. Yeah. And this is a PR game, plain and simple. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I think that, you know, you mentioned Sault Ste. Marie, and that rolls into a whole other ball of wax that was opened up where they've excluded the community that was the Pauli decision. So for 15 years, they've trumpeted such a victory for the Métis Nation. But they now don't even include that in their, in their as a Métis community. And uh, I got to read you this one response to, to me pointing that out. Um, the one response I got from a certain person was, this doesn't mean that Pauli 2003 no longer legally applies to us, referring to him as the part of the Métis Nation. It means that the Pauli's community is a mixed, rights-bearing community like those in the West, though it is part of a different nationhood that is not ours as Métis. The government used the definition of Métis to mean distinct from Indian since pre-colonial control, which is not an ethnic division, uh, definition. And I, like, you know, you talk about justifying the shit, and, I mean, that's such a load of BS right there. Um, well, it's so ridiculous. I mean, that's the whole point, though, is this is the war that is now going on on social media and in the, in the news and with these professors and book writers over what does that word mean and who should be entitled to use it? I mean, I have a tweet from uh, Tony Belcourt, the, the founder and, and former president of the MNO, who, who basically said this is nuts. The Supreme Court who gave the Métis Nation uh, recognition of constitutional Aboriginal rights is being told they're not Métis. Yeah. Give your head a shake. <laughs> yeah. Well, and even uh, the lawyer uh, for the Pauleys who won the Pauli decision, had tweeted, this is not a change of position. The evidence suggests that the Great Lakes Métis are not part of the Métis Nation. So that says to me now, and, and I think this bodes well well for Eastern Métis, is that the MNC is kind of in a roundabout way acknowledging that they are not the only Métis people on the planet. That there are other Métis nations that are different from them, and they have rights, and they are rights-bearing communities, and the MNC wants nothing to do with them. And so I think that bodes well for Eastern Métis. I think they've split now the different... I think they've created a split between the mentality of, oh, your rights come from the Métis nation. 
No, actually, they've made it very clear that they do not. Rights come from community, not the Métis National Council. And I I think in, an, in a roundabout way, this is actually a good thing uh, for some. I, well, I absolutely, I think, well, I think it is a, is a, uh, a huge win for all those disenfranchised outside the MNC. I think this yes. is a huge rally call. This is, if there was an ever a moment in, in recent memory for me, that was a wide open door to step up to the plate by Eastern Métis. This is it. Absolutely. Uh, we have rights bearing Métis communities in Ontario and let me, let's fix it. All the Métis in Ontario yep. uh, are, are now disenfranchised from head office. And uh, we have historic Métis communities, rights holding Métis people that are now on the outside. It's time to capitalize on that. And like you said, point blank, they're the, the from a legal perspective, apparently on Twitter, there's more than one Métis nation. Absolutely. And now, now I and now the fight begins though, over the symbols, the the rhetoric, the flag waving yes. nationalisms that are going to come out of this. Is we have to create a very clear and distinct Eastern Métis nation, as it were, uh, separate from the Western Métis nation, because the Western Métis nation is very insecure about their ancestry and their genealogy um, and where they come from, you know, that hence the reductive revisionism. So, but I think, like you said, hey, wide open door. This is, there's never been a bigger call, a better opportunity for Eastern Métis to step up to the plate and say, boom, here we are. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, um, the, even the Métis Nation of Ontario, President uh, Fro, I think that's how you say your name, uh, she said clearly, and then this is coming from the Manitoba Métis Federation's press release, that she said very clearly that she believes there is more than one distinct Métis people. So you have the president of Yemeno saying there's more than one distinct Métis people. You have the Métis National Council and the, you know the lawyers for, for the Powley boys, who I think she sits on the board of the either the MMF or the MNC. She's on the board in Inspire saying, oh no, there's more than one uh, distinct Métis people. Uh, so this all points, I think, to Eastern Métis need to use this opportunity to, to say, you know what, this is what we've been saying. And now that Ontario is exiled from the big nation, and let's, let's, let's look down the road and say they, they decide, you know what, we don't, we're not going to be part of the Métis National Council because they don't want us. Well, then maybe we start seeing ties to Quebec and further east, um, and, and maybe that starts happening because now that people have opened up their minds to say, oh, there's, there's multiple forms of Métis, and they all have rights, and they're all rights-bearing, and maybe this, maybe this really advances that for them. Um, I sure hope it does. Well, I think the reality is there's only one of two ways the MNO is going to be able to play this out. If the MNO, uh, as a, a governance body, wishes to stay within the MNC framework, they're going to have to eliminate from their membership, any rights bearing community that falls without, you know, outside of that jurisdiction. Yes. Um, so that bodes, that still bodes well for uh, Eastern Métis people, because you're, no matter what happens at the end of the day, you're going to have pally approved rights bearing communities that are federally and provincially recognized that are outside the, the cartel's control and framework. And I think it is high time that, uh, there, you know, we can find some cohesiveness in our our eastern brethren to pull these communities together, uh, 
I mean, let's face us, we got work to do in the East. We got to weed out some of these bad apples and these pretenders to minimize the the, the falsehood thing. Yes, um, absolutely. Running around making all these cars. We got our work cut out for us, you know, brethren. For sure. <laughs> in the East, we got we got work to do. Yep. But there's never been a better time. There's never been a bigger opportunity than right now. Absolutely. And, and I think, uh, you know, you're seeing this, whatever their end game is, whatever the game they're playing here, as far as who's Métis and who's not, at the at the end of the day, there's there's going to be thousands of Métis that are are either you know booted out of the MNC and the you know what we call the cartel, um, and as you've pointed out, there's going to be you know at, at right now there's the Métis Nation of Ontario, then there's the what we call the cartel, the you know Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and the MNC, and then yeah BC kind of hanging on a wire over there, but really it's only the northeastern corner of BC that's in this map. Uh, so are the Métis Nation members in BC going to start losing their their Métis-ness because they're not, they don't fit in anymore? Uh, so you're going to see thousands of Métis basically dispossessed from this. And I, I don't think that's going to do well for the MNC. Uh, however... They are working currently to trademark the ter- term Métis Nation and trademark the Métis Na- Nation flag or the Métis flag, uh, the blue and uh, blue flag with the infinity symbol. So, I mean, their goal here is financial benefit. That's really what this boils down to. Well, but they're also working very hard strategically to create an identity in modern times. Yes, they're going to create a national flag, a nas- national symbols. Uh, Mm-hmm. for this this identity so that's the whole point of of being very strategic this is not by chance it's not a misstep they're not you know just floundering around they are strategically moving to tighten the grip on everything and every visual item they can to consolidate this blue blob map absolutely Absolutely. And I mean, if this trademark thing goes through, there is a petition online for anybody who wants to find it. Just go to social media. I'm sure you'll find it. Um, but there is, uh, you know, if this if the trademark thing were to, say, get get approved, I mean, that means then that the Métis Nation of Ontario has to change their name if they're not no longer in the MN, the cartel. Uh, that means nobody else can use the term Métis Nation, uh, which in and of itself is ridiculous. Uh, I, I, I can't see how they would approve these things, but stranger things have happened. Uh, like they kicked out the Métis Nation of Ontario in the last week. So. Well, if, if Disney can, can copyright Akuta Matata, <laughs> as a mm. phrase, which comes from Indigenous people, True. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to bet money one way or the other on this. The truth is, though, is we need to wake up and smell the coffee is that the Métis Nation, you know, trademark, is uh, moving very quickly, very effectively to put all the right people, all the right voices with all the right, you know, PhDs and professors and, you know, ministers behind this to consolidate the very definition of what it means to be Métis in so much that they want to make it unattainable, almost to the point of illegal for any other community to incorporate the flag, the word Métis or nation in how we identify ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you had a, actually had a really good tweet and, but, uh, and it was that uh, you, you know, you said it's, it's so funny that the Métis who passed the Pali test in Ontario 
are not afforded the same recognition as the Pauli passing communities in Alberta. And uh, I, th- I think that's so dead on. I mean, now you have this hierarchy of rights. Uh, now we're calling Sault Ste. Marie, not Métis, but mixed. You're a mixed community. And we're calling, you know, everybody in Ontario now is is a fake Métis, like those Eastern, those other Easterners. Um, so it's it's already begun this revisionist history. And, you know, 30 years from now, if they continue this, we're going to be at the same point where everybody's going, there was never Métis in Ontario. And Ontario Métis are going to be going, we've always been here. Uh, you know, well, at at the same time, like as we talk about how the cartel is is very progressively and aggressively stepping up to utilize all the colonial tools necessary to uh, consolidate everything that it means to be Métis, whether it's the flag, the sash, the homeland, all the terminology. They're doing a great job, but at the same time, there's never been an afforded opportunity like this for Eastern Métis to do the same thing. Yes. If if we could coalesce, let's let's pretend for a moment we couldn't use the word Métis anymore. Well, there's still lots of great descriptor words for half-breed, mixed-blood people that we could use. They're not talking about the red flag. We can make the red flag our, you know, Eastern Métis flag. You know, like there's such an opportunity now to rally under the banner and consolidate Eastern Métis as an opposition to that counterpart. All we got to do is change the verbiage. And they're opening the door for us as they consolidate. They're opening the door. Yep. To yeah. To these kinds of things, you know, uh, we need to take advantage of it. We need to find the vocabulary to unite, you know, under that rally call. Absolutely, and I, and I think you know, going back to this uh, this map and the and the dangers that it provides, like I, I think we're we're seeing because it, it's like a flurry of media all of a sudden, and, and I think they honestly. I'm I'm positive 100%. They they knew by putting this out it was going to create a whole lot of publicity. And now they're capitalizing it cuz uh, Chartier is going around on a bunch of media and you know professors are getting on APTN again to defend things. Um but you know this this there's a there's very much an end game to exert authority and control over this homeland and and have the government recognize that. And you know, I, there was a quote from Chartier, and I'm kind of we're kind of jumping around a bit. I think that's more me than Jason, but uh, he came out and said they, now they're talking about UNDRIP, and now they're talking about how you know it's it's uh, they don't support it. Um, they think it's been tainted by a potty mouthed MP uh, by the name of Saganash who dared utter the F word in in Parliament. Um, and the the best quote I got from this was uh, Chartier saying, if it passes, it passes, but to me it will always be tainted. We are prepared to defend this Prime Minister who has done more for Indigenous people than any other Prime Minister this country has ever had. And, uh, you know, when we look at this map and we look at the end game of what all this means, th- like this is the kind of stuff that you're facing. Is that They're so pro-government. They're so pro-Trudeau right now. Uh, I think they're honestly doing whatever they can to make the Canadian government give them that framework agreement, give them the, the you know pipeline deals, give them any deals that could possibly be out there, and they're you know they're doing whatever they can to make it easy for the government. Then and I, that's how I see this this whole map and kicking out the MNO and everything. That's that's what I see it as. Well, absolutely, it's a one hundred percent consolidation. Uh, positional power in relation to the federal government. Uh, 
Yep. And yeah, I mean, they're ass kissing. There's no doubt about it. They're kissing ass. You can say it. For sure. You know, that's what they're doing. Um, I think that that's the real problem, though, is that the Métis Nation is making it very clear that it is willing to go it alone on all fronts. And they don't give two craps about any other Indigenous community out there but their own. And so they don't care about what the UN says about uh, Indigenous rights. They care about how the Métis people can benefit from this legislation. Yeah. Any legislation. If there's, a, like you said, a grant or a deal to be done, Métis people don't care whose territory it is, who it affects. They don't even really care. They're demonstrating, you know, if it boils onto the land and water. They don't care about that either. It, it is about this nationalistic point of view for, you know, the blue blob map people. That's their, their goal now. And, you know, they've pretty much said it on every front now. They don't care about First Nations people. And Absolutely. I think there, there couldn't be a more detrimental message to be coming from one Indigenous group to the other in a time where across the board our lands and water are under such an assault that we have an organization that's basically telling, you know, people like the Blackfoot that go back 10,000 years here, we don't care about you. Yeah. We care about we care about our agenda and we don't care how that affects you. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And and I I think I think what people really need to understand too is you know these people and I, I mean these people as in the leaders so-called leadership in the in the cartel who are are behind this they're looking out for their interests and the organization's interest and they they have the luxury of being able to say, we're looking for out for our Métis people's best interests, but truly the bottom line is is they're not. Um, they've created a huge division now within the Métis, what used to be the Métis Nation uh, organizations. Uh, the, all of those Métis in Ontario should feel very offended, and I don't know if there's any way to really recover from that. I mean, when you just suddenly split and say, oh, no, you guys are gone based on, you know, our Roberts Rules meeting and somebody put a motion forward and somebody seconded it, so you guys are gone kind of thing, it, it it's created a division within the nation. And on top of that, like you said, when you, you really don't care about First Nations uh, opinions or, or or traditional territory, it's created a huge division there because I've seen... I've seen Cree even saying, look, you guys were always part of our family. <laughs> this is our territory. You, you were here, but you were Cree when you were here. Um, and so it, it's just, it's created a huge division. And I don't know if they can, on a people level, I don't know if they can come back. And I don't, honestly don't know if they even care if they come back. Well, and I, I think that's the what I, I find really challenging about the, the narrative that's being put forward is that, when for normal people, for the you and me, the, the, the you know the Joe blows that got to get up and go to work in the morning, if, if you're a proud Métis person, and you have to have this conversation now of you know as resource extraction deals get signed, as as all these other things get signed, how how is it going to work? What are you going to? What's the conversation going to use with the other Indigenous people out there? Yeah, absolutely, and I mean. 
How do you move forward from here when when it is comes to things like resource deals or even government funding or government anything, government negotiations? How do you move forward now, now that you've fractured things, now that you've created this divide between yourself and First Nations? Like, uh, it's going to take a very concerted effort to mend relationships with, you know, a lot of the Blackfoot people. Um, I, I know I, I tried and uh, I didn't get very far as far as getting an, a response from the Blackfoot nation, um, from any chiefs or anything. Uh, the one response that I, I did receive is that they are they are planning to meet to discuss this to determine how they respond, and um, which is a very reasonable. I think that's a very reasonable way to look at it. Um, but the bottom line is is I, I don't it, it doesn't do great things. They've they've already got a very strained relationship with Blackfoot, and I think this is just going to cause more strain and. Even in the Cree territories that were that you know that you know there was Métis people there. Well, how how is it not going to be strained now? You know, um, it's just it baffles me how they just how they just did it. Well, but I agree, and I think at the same time, you know, you talk about opportunities, and I I kind of am that optimist. I try to find an opportunity in everything. I think for for First Nations out there, and you know, and, you know, any uh, First Nations people listening, this is a huge opportunity for them as well. There is only thirty thousand plus members of the MNA in Alberta, and there's a hundred thousand people who claim to be Métis in Alberta who are outside that organization. Yeah. If 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 we the disenfranchised from the cartel were given opportunity to have these conversations with our First Nations relations. We could create a much larger voice for Métis people in Alberta if we had their help. Absolutely. If we had their support. You know, yep. if the Blackfoot wanted to totally put a, a t- different shoe in this game, if they wanted to spin this right around, uh, you know, if they said, okay, look, we know that Métis people came here and we sat- settled within our territory. We want to take those descendants of Métis people who came in after the treaty signing and we want to put them on our side of the table because we know they're still Indigenous people living inside of our territory. Yep. It totally changed the narrative. We could totally spin this right around in the homeland itself. Absolutely. Yep. Well, and... And, and so I think how, Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say how much is like that everywhere in this homeland map where, you know, even Saskatchewan and Manitoba, they don't represent 100% of the Métis in those provinces. So how much of that could be done in those provinces as well? I think you could really spin this, like you said right back at them, and it works to their detriment. Yeah, they really shot themselves in the foot, and they've opened up really huge oppositional doors. Unfortunately, I'm not sure anybody has the wherewithal to take advantage of it, but they're still there. You know, uh, you know, I've talked a lot about how, you know, Métis people across the border are still the smallest group compared to our First Nations relations. And if they were ever interested in changing the narrative of putting back our traditional kinship relationships, this is a great opportunity because the Métis Nation has so disenfranchised so many Métis people who don't agree with them. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they, they've disenfranchised literally thousands as we speak this past week just by getting cutting out the MNO. And, uh, like, I... I now you got to look at, but even even now you look at the people within Alberta that have their Métis Nation cards. Are you going to now have to do redo your genealogy again for the how many times now to prove that your family 
came from within that homeland map. So now you might see uh, an, another membership review done by all these provinces, these, these provincial bodies, saying, oh, well, uh, your family came from, you know, Sault Ste. Marie. So you're not Métis Nation material. You're, you're like just, you know, those dirty mixed breeds. <laughs> so, I mean, and this could seriously affect their membership elsewhere. The other thing that I thought was, uh, that I think Métis should seriously consider, uh, those that are that are really affected by this, such as Ontario, is all of the cartel gets funding based on who they represent. And when you represent, I, I can't remember what their numbers were in Ontario, but let's say, I say on average about 20,000 people. So let's say a Métis Nation Ontario has 20,000 members. Um, I think there's a, a good uh, case to be made for a, a class action lawsuit against the Métis National Council and all the other affiliates saying, you guys got funding based on us being part of your nation. And now we're not part of your nation. So we want our funding. We want all that funding you got to come to us now. And uh, I heard this when they were talking about redoing the membership for the Métis Nation of Ontario, uh, that that was a possibility. And I think that might be a possibility now. And I, I think people should look at that. That would be amazing. Wouldn't it? That would be fantastic. I'd love I'd love to see that. <laughs> Those dirty non, you know, dirty identity stealers from Ontario taking back their money. I think yes. that, but that's how the funding works. You're, you're very right in, in saying that. That's exactly how these organizations get their government grants um, as societies. So, you know, it'd be great. I'd love to see Ontario do that and, and go back, go after their money and get that for their, their citizens. Absolutely, and, and I guess that would that would that would be another question, a really good question to see, which I guess we'll find out in their twenty nineteen financials. Um, but what is the MNC receiving by doing this? So they've essentially reduced the federal government's fiduciary responsibility to a certain extent because they're saying, "Oh no, none of those people are Métis. They're just you know they're just mixed breed in Aboriginals. So whatever." Um, so they've they've restricted down the fiduciary responsibility of the uh, federal government, in theory, in theory. Uh, so by doing so, though, their funding should shrink. But will we see their funding shrink? They're a smaller smaller organization now. And I, I'd be very curious to see whether their funding shrinks or whether it'll do what I suspect it'll do, which is go up substantially. Um, so I... And I think there's only way you can look at that is to say, okay, if their funding goes up, that's simply just a payoff for doing the government's dirty work for them. And 20 years from now, the government won't have to apologize for that. Yeah, and I, I think the reality is, we, we've said this before on, on several shows, when the government gets involved in your registry for your citizenship, this is exactly where this road goes. It's, mm -hmm. it's reductive by, na by nature. Absolutely, and I mean, they're already asking members of Métis Nation Ontario and BC to just sign up with, uh, you know, just send in your application to the Manitoba Métis Federation. So one of the things that I, I can see definitely coming from this is a consolidation of power. And, I mean, we all know that Chartier is uh, not long for the leadership position at the Métis National Council. I mean, he's been doing it since, what, 1983. So he's made his millions, I'm sure. Um and I think David Chartrand is trying to consolidate 
as much power as humanly possible into himself to spearhead his, you know, foisting on top of the pile on the Métis National Council and becoming the head of all the dragon. And uh, But, I mean, he, asking all these people to just sign the, with the MMF, all that's doing is bolstering their numbers to make them the largest organization in Canada. Um, why, I mean, why wouldn't you ask BC to sign up with Alberta? But no, no, that's a really interesting point, you know, and, and I never really thought of it from that perspective till you brought it up. But the truth is, really, are we seeing a larger game than at play with the whole lawsuit that the the Manitoba Métis Federation won in the this whole script uh, process? You know, where they're promised all these lands and and uh, monies that are supposed to be still be in negotiation and in the winds. Is this another move towards accommodating the federal government in the ability to only make sure that the the real descendants of Red River are entitled to that land? You know, boistering the the Manitoba Métis Federation to be the new head organization, so that as they move forward to settle that uh, lawsuit. Um, you know, there's an actual way uh, way to do that. Absolutely, yeah. Like, there's there's a lot of irons in the fire here, and I I mean, you can go almost go any direction with this, but uh, it just seems to me like it's a pretty obvious attempt to consolidate power right from the beginning by by sh- by shrinking the map and cutting out Ontario. You're consolidating your power, uh, which is good between you and the the federal government. Um, and then even within the organization to bolster Manitoba up, uh, I mean, if they gained fifteen thousand members, that would be, that would, I mean, that would almost double their numbers. But it would make them probably, perhaps even larger than the Métis Nation of Alberta, which I think has the most members out of all of them. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But it's it's really if you look at the the vocabulary in that lawsuit that they won, in. Uh, for the honoring the the crown and the whole script process, this really does put Manitoba uh, front and center um, moving forward to negotiate uh, with the government an actual possible out. You know what I mean? Yeah, because it absolutely. would only be Alberta, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba, of which Manitoba is the only province that this uh, you know court case dealt with. So how how many how much longer do we go down the road before the MA and the MNS are actually just all rolled into the the parent organization? Which really, let's face facts, if everyone comes from Red River and they're all descendants from there, why would you bother to have an MA anymore at all? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think uh, you know, there's some there's some questions to be raised about uh, you know, this uh, Romeo Sagnash's bill about including or making things uh, under compliant. Uh, UNDRIP is something that I think the Métis National Council fears, which is why they're now so negatively attacking Romeo Saganash, uh, you know, for dropping an F, but what was ultimately the best moment in Parliament history in the last 10 years. Uh, <laughs> but um, they're, they're coming after him so negatively. They're consolidating power. They're coming after him negatively. They're coming after Ontario negatively. They're they're doing all these things because what they I think what they're afraid of is that in UNDRIP it actually says that as Indigenous people we get to choose who our gov- who represents us politically, uh, socially, all those kinds of things. That is up to us as a people. There is no organization that gets to choose that. And I think 
I think a lot of this is based, a lot of what they're doing, I think, is is a fear-based reaction to what happens if UNDRIP comes into power like it, it like they think it might. Um, and you saw this with the Daniels case. They fought the Daniels case tooth and nail until they couldn't anymore and then jumped on board and tried to tried to usurp it from the inside. Um, because yes, they knew they, they knew the Daniels case would blow the doors open. And and it it sort of did. They've kind of contained that a little bit with certain non-indigenous professors that go around the country making money off of all of this. But now I think they're positioning themselves with the federal government and sticking their head up their ass up the prime minister's ass a little further for the fact that when UNDRIP comes out, they're going to try to usurp that somehow and and, and head that off. So that, you know, there's well, a lot it, of it is an absolute. It's as, yeah. There's a any as far as we've never had a government. I don't think in in this regard that's had so much um, in the wind at one time with regards to First Nations and Métis people yeah. uh, with funding and programs and services and splitting INAC and, and, you know, there's, there's so much that's been going on to create this tumultuous, um, you know, wave pool that we find ourselves in. And I, I definitely see that the MNC is scrambling to consolidate and confine and reshape their relationship in this, you know, you know, Jesus Trudeau era, um, <laughs> to to button batten down the hatches because they know they don't want to go the undrip way because it opens up too many things. Because in the Daniels case, you know, everyone's very clear that the ruling from the court was that the Métis people are not a West centric ethnic group, and so. There's a real, ever since that came out, like you said, we have seen professors, and that, that really, it's the, the Daniels case that gave us vocabulary for the race shifting. Yes. That's that's where this all comes from. Yep. That that didn't exist before Daniels. No one, Pauli didn't give us the self-indigenizing, race-shifting populace of the East. Daniels did. Mm-hmm. And that's the stems, that's a vocabulary, you know, almost that you could coin right out of the the court documents. Um, so I think that's real problematic, but what we see, I mean, we even have, uh, Clem going on APTN to talk about fake cards from the East. Yeah. Well, the hilarity of that now is the MNO's cards are fake according to them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and that's the, that's the hilarity of this is that within 24 hours of the Métis Nation of Ontario being suspended, this new map coming out, uh, certain professors who are very welcomed and who actually were, were um, whose videos and were played, and I, I think they might have been, even been at the Métis National Council meetings. Um, mm-hmm. They're already going out on media saying, "Oh, well, these fake Ontario and Quebec Métis." So the the language, it's it's not even anymore the fake Métis from Quebec and East. Like it's already just rolling off their tongue. Those fake Ontario Métis, and in ten years, twenty years, thirty years. You're going to have people that are born and raised under this uh, Métis umbrella going, all I've ever heard my whole life is those Ontario Métis are fake. Well, you know, screw them. Just like you see now with this revisionist history that Harry Daniels talked about of, you know, excluding Eastern provinces. I mean, we have Louis Riel that recognized Eastern provinces. We had Harry Daniels who recognized Eastern provinces. You had the Pauli decision. (laughs) And now... They're excluding all of that, um, which is just convenient for them. It really is. 
Well, and what's funny is is the the language is shifting so fast, and the propaganda machine is in such full tilt that historic rights bearing Métis people. So these aren't these aren't some you know, and they're out there self indigenizing white people who come up with some you know cards to rip sure. off stuff and yeah, they're out there absolutely. But these are are basically you know historic. Métis communities, proven Métis communities, provincially and federally recognized communities in Ontario. And the the plow machine that's now going out there is basically saying, well, even the cards these people hold, well, they're fake now. Yep. The the idea that they can't call themselves Métis anymore because they don't fall inside the blue blob. And so they're fake. Yeah. So you can't, you can't use the word Métis to apply to yourself if you don't fall within the blue bound territory because then you're appropriating. Mm-hmm. You're trying to shift yourself into a Western Plains Buffalo Red River cart Métis person when you say the word Métis. So when, when Jason comes on air and says I'm a Métis person they're going to look at me and say no you're a, you've race shifted because yes. only that Buffalo hunting Red River cart riding person can use that label to identify themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think they're really capitalizing though. The one thing that I say, I will say that they're doing very well of is uh, they're, they're capitalizing on um, indigenous uh, to a certain extent, indigenous fear of their identities being stolen by non-indigenous people. So you have the Joseph Boydens of the world. You have, um, you know, even the head of CAP, I think, has been very vague about their, their indigeneity. And so you have, you have them capitalizing on those things to say, well, you know, we don't want more Joseph Boyden stuff. We're indigenous and we don't. And so they're trying to almost rally First Nations with them, which, you know, has is, is always been my belief with their, their newly signed deal with the Mi'kmaq, is that they're trying to capitalize on that that fear that um, that they're the First Nations identity is going to get stolen. However, what I find interesting is that they'll sign a deal on the East Coast saying, "Yeah, yeah, there's never been Métis out there. We'll sign a deal with the Mi'kmaq to support First Nations rights." Meanwhile, in every single province that they have a, an office, they're trying to usurp First Nations rights by absolutely zero relationship with the First Nations of that well, territory. It- that's an excellent point. I mean, you look at the the deal they signed with the Mi'kmaq to say there's no Métis in the East. The Mi'kmaq say there's no Métis in the East. Oh, funny. Funny, hey? Weren't we just talking about the Blackfoot, though? Yeah. Who said there's no Métis in their territory. Yeah. And the Métis Nation of Alberta didn't go and sign an agreement with them to prove the point. Yes. You're right. There's nobody with Blackfoot blood that could be Métis. The Métis Nation wasn't at that table. They didn't just, like, fly down there in a big hurry. Design that deal. Yeah, exactly. Be, well, why? Because they wanted to claim that territory. Because <laughs> it's convenient for them. It is also yeah. in the most energy resource rich areas of both Saskatchewan and Alberta. I mean, well, it's nothing like claiming the ivory towers of Oilfield Calgary as part of your traditional homeland. Oh, know? absolutely. But that's what's hilarious to me about these negotiations and these this, this mindset that the cartel has is that they're willing to talk to this First Nations group and say, sure, well, we believe there's no Métis people there and we're going to sign an agreement to say that. But when it falls within their own home territory, I mean, we have on record 
like you said earlier, uh, Audrey said that there's no person with Blackfoot blood that could be Métis. Well, then why didn't they go down there and sign the same memorandum? Exactly. Exactly. Well, because they don't want to lose that giant chunk out of their blue map. <laughs> because that's Métis Region 3, goddammit. The yeah, traditional you, you territory. Cut, <laughs> yeah. So you'd lose all of that. You'd have to cut that out of your blue map. No, uh, Southern Alberta, whoosh, gone. Yep. Yeah. And so then how you're right, though. Then how could you apply, apply for funding for those offices and those staff and those people if you acknowledge that fact? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I mean, let, 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 you know, I go back to this. Let's not play games here. This is about money. It's about what's best for the corporations that are the, the cartel. Uh, and it's the energy resort, the energy rich provinces. Uh, and Manitoba, see, Manitoba to me is, they might not be uh, oil and gas, you know, as oil and gas rich as Saskatchewan and, and Alberta, but they have, like you said earlier, that that uh, court win regarding the land claim, uh, where they're going to get like so many hundred millions of dollars to, you know, for the land that the crown promised but never lived up to, which is fair. Uh, but they're the ones heading that up, so they've kind of got that going for them. And the other two provinces have the energy industry, and I, I just, I, I think anybody who thinks that this is just an innocuous map is just is, is baffling themselves. They're just they're, they're well, bullshitting yeah. themselves. I mean, this is yeah. going to come down in two in the next two to three years to real dollars and cents, and it's going to be an all-out battle between First Nations well, and Métis. It, uh, in, in the Manitoba, yeah, absolutely, Manitoba is going to blow up. Yeah, um, this is just the tip of the iceberg. You're absolutely right. If we go back just a couple of years, uh, we have Manitoba, the MMF. They put in a special board of directors to handle this windfall, including none other than his former prime minister self, you know, Paul Martin. There you go. Who's on, on this advisory panel for the MMF, because you are literally talking about if you think the budgets for the MNC and the MMF are nuts now, you wait because they're in the expectation of hundreds of millions, if not a billion dollar windfall for the MMF. Yes. So the reality is, is that is what I believe this is all now, if you really look at it, concentrating to is that singularity is, and we're going to see a, a, a negotiations of astronomical proportions for the Manitoba Métis. Absolutely. And, and I, I want to, you know, I also want to make very clear to people who may think this is very innocuous. These guys have had uh, an, an unusually large amount of funding. And they've, they've brought on people that, like you just gave an example, Paul Martin. Uh, I believe Tom Isaacs is involved in Saskatchewan somehow. Uh, he's on boards or something like that. And he, of course, wrote for the Harper government right when they lost and the Trudeaus came in, uh, or the Trudeau government came in. Uh, Tom Isaac was the one that wrote the report on Métis, you know, identity and, and shit like that. And he's involved in the Métis Nation in Saskatchewan. So I think they're really pol politic politicking well. I think they're bringing in some very intelligent political maneuverists, political advisors, and, you know, they're doing whatever they can to make themselves very attractive to Ottawa and the provincial governments. And that does not bode well for any First Nations, any anybody else who wants to oppose anything in those governments. Well, absolutely. Uh, on one hand, I want to say I think the, the Red River Maintee are owed it. 
there's absolutely there's been way way too long whatever five dollars hundred million dollars billion dollars you can get out of the government giver yes you know yes there you're you're owed absolutely at the same at the same time that doesn't come at the expense and should never come at the expense of the first nations that that's an inequity and so just because one person one one of us is getting a windfall as it were or getting our wrongs somewhat righted doesn't mean that you do that at the cost of a first nations community absolutely and i think that's you know that's kind of one of the things too that i want to i want to start kind of I want everybody to understand that when we when we're talking about this, both Jason and I, we're not talking about Métis people. We're talking about these organizations. They're very political. They're not cultural organizations. They're political organizations, and they're a machine. David Chartrand, Clem Chartier, uh, Audrey, uh, and all the other guys, all the other people involved in these organizations are political. And I think, oh, and I've I've actually seen this as of, or as recently as yesterday, where you have Métis community members, Métis people on the ground who are part of these organizations who are almost in fear right now of going to events, going to boards that they're part of. Um, I know a person who's part of a board with Blackfoot people, and the, the afternoon that that map dropped, she just happened to have a meeting with them. And she had to explain to every single Blackfoot member of that board that she was part of how this map is and, you know, and, and all eyes were on her. And she was not prepared for that. She's not in any position for that. She's not in, uh, you know, power in the Métis cartel. And so I think it's very detrimental. And I, and I think that's almost something that's maybe overlooked in all this is, is the human aspect of this and the cost on... Métis people, because you're now, are you going to feel comfortable going to ceremonies and stuff? Because now everybody's going to be looking at you like, oh, yeah, here comes the Métis. You know, like, this has caused such a divide, and I I feel bad for Métis people, but at the same time, you need to step up and take control of these organizations. They're they're running away with with things, and and, and I just, it's, it's just a negative, you know, spin for for Métis people in general. And I, I really feel bad about it, but, I mean, what can we do, right? Well, I think you're absolutely right. On one hand, we we live in an interesting era. I don't think I've ever seen in the last few years a consolidation. The MNC has really coalesced into an excellent machine. I, I think yeah. they are a well-oiled machine under the Trudeau government who has uh, partnered well with the Trudeau government and is running a very strategic, pointed, greased machine. It is a thing to behold mm-hmm. at the same time. If you're a card-carrying M&A member and you've somehow suffered fallout and you're you know, put in a tight spot where you got to go to a ceremony or a board meeting and you have to bear the brunt of that, I actually don't feel too sorry for you because yeah. that is what this organization is doing. And it has been doing, you and I have been talking about this for more than a few months, you know, yes. we were pushing a couple of years yep. in this conversation, you know, it doesn't take much to go bond to our pod being account, go back to our first episode <laughs> and start listening. <laughs> this isn't a new conversation for us. Yes. We have been, you know, we've, you know, we've been forecasting this, these events for a very long time. Yes. And so 
I'm not sorry. This is the fallout that happens when you allow your leadership to fall out of step with our First Nations relations, to forget its historical place on this land and in its narrative. Yep. You know, I'm if you bear the brunt of that, you know, I might actually just chuckle a little. Well, and and I think it's I I'm I'm really torn on that because there I've met a lot of phenomenal people that are part of these organizations. Um some have even tried to run for election to try to change things. Um but the bottom line is is you had a 10% voter turnout in the last Métis Nation of Alberta elections. You have, uh, even locally, you have the same, you know, 50 people that show up to an event. There's no more, no less. Um, People need to engage if they want things to change. And so I I feel really bad because there's some really good people that I think are going to get hurt by this. Just with the, the, the community relationships being tarnished by all of this. But at the same time, you need to take control of your leadership. Uh, like, I'm sorry, but Audrey is not God. Um, you know, we had a, I think it was the one episode that you, you didn't make it on, but I talked about how they got rid of this judiciary in Alberta. And everybody's like, oh, it needs to be reinstated. We're now over 100 days since we all voted to reinstate it. So I googled their bylaws, and it, it comes down to the fact that the, the six regions in Alberta nominate or, or elect a person to that judiciary. So I said, well, guys, just go to your regional and demand that they elect somebody to that judiciary council. Now, Audrey has nothing to do with it, but that hasn't happened yet. Maybe a few people did, but I mean, this is where people, if they really want to care, if they really care about what's happening... They need to get involved. They need to send emails every day. They need to send, uh, phone, have phone calls every day until their leaders understand that the people don't like what they're doing. Um, I've seen a lot of people on, online that's saying, oh, man, I, I don't agree with this. I'm, I'm part of the Métis Nation, and I don't agree with it. Hey, social media doesn't do anything. <laughs> that's, that's great. That's your opinion. But this is a political machine that's rolling, and you got to step up in order to get it changed. If you don't agree with it, make well, it change. At, at the very same time, and, and like to, to flip the coin over, I think a lot of people are busy and a lot of people are mm-hmm. tied up in what they're doing and a lot of people don't approve. But the reality is we have a lot of good community leaders in Alberta and Saskatchewan. You and I have personally seen who are trying to make yes. a difference and are trying to make a change. Absolutely. Who aren't happy. And the reality is what they need is people's support. Yes. And Absolutely. If people aren't happy, but they're not going to send those emails and they're not going to do those kinds of things, but they're pissed off about how it's going, then put your support where it matters. Put it behind the people who are trying to make a change. Yes. And I think that's what doesn't happen is there's, we have a lot of whiners and a lot of complainers and people who bitch about being put in bad situations, but we'll never step out or step up to a support leaders and people who are out there busting their hump to try to make a change for what's right. And they won't embrace trying to do it themselves. They're not going to send that email because they don't want to risk losing their status card or their citizenship card in the Métis Nation. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and I've, I've seen that. I've personally witnessed people that are afraid to speak up because they don't want to lose their membership. And I think that speaks volumes to the type of organization that you have. If you say something that they don't agree with, you lose your. you could possibly lose your membership. Um, and I think the Métis Nation of Ontario is learning a very hard lesson right now. 
And I think all of those Métis people out there that are excluded are learning a very hard lesson that the that a lot of us have already learned. Um, you know, now, like I said, in 30 years, the, the Ontario Métis are going to be called fake Métis just like the Quebec Métis are. Um, you know, and, and the bottom line is wait 30 years, they're being called fake making yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's happening. You only, now. Had, you, you only had to wait three minutes. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I mean, it's, it, 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 I think it shows a pattern of revisionist history to benefit whatever their political agenda is at the time. And right now it aligns with Trudeau and the Trudeau government wants this framework agreement in. Uh, they don't like the fact that they had to support Romeo Saganish's UNDRIP bill because they didn't at first. And conveniently, neither does the MNC. Um, and so you just see this political aligning because it's beneficial right now. Not for Métis people, but for the Métis political organizations. And I think there needs to be a very distinct dis- uh, separation of the two in, in both terms of what we're talking. And But I also think Métis people need to realize... You know what? If you left these organizations and started your own organization separate from them, it is very clear that you can carry on your rights. We've talked about how you can have rights in Alberta without the Métis Nation of Alberta. Um, Ontario is a very good example of how you can now be a rights-bearing Métis community, but have nothing to do with these Métis national organizations. Um, You know, Fort Mackay in northern Alberta... They, they just made a wonderful purchase of land uh, for a resort that they can now hunt and fish and gather on to get back to the land. It's a beautiful piece of property. They're doing all of this they're outside second, of it. Yeah. You know? And, and they're, you know, they've been purchasing land up there. I mean, that's the whole point is I think people need to wake up to the fact that if you're in, proud of your culture, you're proud of your identity, Red River, Métis, or other, that it requires active participation if it's going to mean anything in the future. Yes. And, and I think people need to look at these organizations and say, do they really represent me? And if, you know, Fort Mackay can go out and form their own Métis organization and Métis community, buy their land, buy land for them to get, you know, go hunting and fishing on and do all these things outside of the Métis Nation and still be a rights-bearing community, still be recognized by the province and the federal government, and still be sitting at the negotiation tables. And now you look east and you have the Sault Ste. Marie, which was the Pauli, the, the home base of the Pauli brothers. They're a Métis rights-bearing community. There's no doubt about that. There's no way to deny that. The Supreme Court of Canada has ruled on it. So as far as the Canadian government's concerned, that is gospel. They can't overturn that. So now you have rights-bearing Métis communities in at least two provinces that are outside of the Métis Nation uh, cartel. And I think from a member's perspective, if you don't like what's going on, you need to consider, do these organizations really serve our best interests at this point? And if not, put your put a, your support where it matters. Either step up and, and be a leader in your community to, to forge a new way forward or support those who already are. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I mean, if you want better relationships with your local First Nation, well, then form your own organization or form your own board or form your own thing and go to them and start a, a dialogue and just say, look, we're Métis, but we're not with those guys. You know, we're doing our own thing. That's what it's going to come to. And I... In, in one way, I think the, the Métis National Council shot itself in the foot because if people actually stood up and did that, these this cartel would just crumble. 
I think what they're doing, though, is they're banking on the apathy that comes out of every single province that they're a part of. Um, Alberta had a huge turnout in the election of 10%. Saskatchewan didn't have that, and Manitoba's Chartrand wasn't even, he was just, uh, he wasn't even opposed. Nobody even ran against them. So they're betting, they're banking on apathy to get huge government dollars <laughs> and do whatever they want. And no opposition. Yeah. And I think that's the real thing is they already know they got the government's money. As long as Trudeau is in and you'll probably be in, let's face facts, they're probably going to get in for another four years. So the reality is, on one hand, the MNC is banking that it has carte blanche to continue to negotiate with the federal government no matter what, yep. irregardless of what any other Indigenous community in this country thinks or feels. Yes. And it is it is completely running amok because it knows that it has no accountability to its membership because its membership, like you said, simply doesn't care. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and for those that do care... Well, they will be in the privileged class that within these organizations that benefit the most from these things. Um, and the rest of us are going to sit back and watch their travel budgets skyrocket and watch their professional fees skyrocket and watch their operational costs skyrocket. Meanwhile, people on the ground are still living in shanties. People on the ground still don't have seniors care. People on the ground still don't have this, still don't have that. And then when the Trudeau government gets out and we have a blue team in there, well, now the excuse will be, oh, well, guys, those blue guys cut everything, and no, we can't provide that now. And so it's just a perfect storm of political uh, excuses for these organizations to continue to exist. It is. It's it's the next four years under the Trudeau government after they probably, in my prediction, will probably win the election, even in a minority position. They'll continue oh, yeah. this, and every one of these leaders is going to ride out this Trudeau red wonder happy wagon to the end. And I guarantee you, after the, this, you probably will see the majority of these people will be gone. Yep. Yeah, the only one I think would stick around is uh, Chartrand in order to take over the MNC, leave the MMF and take over the MNC. I think that's the only one that I think could seriously stay. Mm -hmm. But I, I know Audrey, I'm, I'm pretty sure she's gone as soon as uh, it gets close to the next, you know, switching of the guard in the federal government. Um, so I I don't know. I, I They've they've done something and then they're going to jump ship and leave the mess with everybody else to clean up. And we've, we've yeah, said that before too. And in the meantime, whoever takes this over, whatever happens, to this organization when the, the Trudeau government inevitably is no longer in power is going to be left in a real rock and a hard play, place because it's not going to have the budgets, it's not going to have the funding, and more importantly, it will now no longer have any relationships with either, any other Indigenous community to fall back on. Absolutely, because I mean, when, when we talk about things from an Indigenous perspective and you, you say, okay, well, let's look at the next seven generations... Well, let's look at the next seven generations. You have people now that are growing up going, well, what is this exerting rights on our territory? You know, I'm a Blackfoot kid who's 14 right now, and all I hear is my parents talking about these damn Métis exerting rights on our territory, and, you know, they're they're just like the colonizers and blah, blah, blah. So now when that 14-year-old in, 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 you know, maybe 20 years is running for, for chief and council, he doesn't, that person does not have a good view on Métis people. And so... This has done a lot of damage 
for generations to come, this is not the most beneficial thing for Métis people. It just isn't. Well, in it, in, you know, we talk a lot as Indigenous people that there's only one land and one water, and yet here we are. We have two this cartel organization that has said verbally on every front that it it will go it alone. It doesn't matter what First Nations thinks. You know, first Métis rights are not secondary to First Nations rights. You know, uh, Métis land is not somehow different or less than First Nations land. And so we we have this conversation coming from the cartel that if it's a choice between honoring your indigenous ancestors and looking at seven generations and how we work with our kin to protect land and water, or how do we you know, go the colonial way for our, our nationalism to protect this homeland map territory for the sake of creating a nation. Absolutely. You know, very clearly we can see the mindset of these leaders and where they're willing to take this conversation. Absolutely. And I mean, everything that's come out in the last week, I mean, you have the map, you have the, the Métis Nation of Ontario getting suspended. You have these Pali certified communities that, you know, are no longer part of the Métis nation um you have his vocal opposition to romeo saganish and the undrip bill um all of this is pointing to a very colonized mind working with trudeau now i'm not going to try to bad i mean you can badmouth liberals all you want conservatives aren't any better or worse um but the truth is is i think within the trudeau government there are people that work for every color of government and have for the last 30 years. Those are the people that actually run government. And those people are the ones that I think are sitting around the table saying, well, if you guys just did this, you know, we could probably slide you a few more million dollars for that. And I think it's a very, very, very uh, good move on the organizational level to, to align themselves with a government. I mean, the fact that they're so willing to just go against every First Nation, go against anything that that they th- that first nations are fighting the government on they're willing to sign framework agreements and like you said just go it alone who cares we don't care about first nations they're willing to go against undrip they're willing to go against uh you know first nations when it comes to energy deals uh they signed on to the pipeline and even the courts of canada said there wasn't enough consultation with indigenous they're willing to jump on these things at the drop of a penny um it, it is not going to be a good relationship moving forward with First Nations. Just it, it, I don't know how it could be. No, and I think that's that's the number one wake-up call for Métis people. Yeah. Is if we truly consider ourselves Indigenous, then we have to understand where that Indigenous identity comes from. And once we grapple with that issue, then we're going to understand that, that our First Nations are our kin, that's our clan, and we need to be able to sit at the same side of the table because there's only one land and one water. And if we're not willing to do that, then we really have to ask ourselves, what's the point? Yes, exactly. I, I think you said it earlier very well that uh, Métis people are, they deserve um, the money that they're, you know, that the government gives them. They, they deserve it. They deserve more. All indigenous people do. Um, but there is only one land, one water. And so at the end of the day, are you people of the land or are you people of the, the government dollar? Uh, which one are you? Because these organizations say, are saying to everybody, oh, we're a, we're an organization of the government dollar. That's what's most important to us uh, because they are not, they're not working on the benefit of the land, the water, 
the animals, the, you know, spirituality, ceremony, relationships with our First Nations family, they're not working towards that. They're working towards more funding, more political power, more political maneuvering, and the ability to kibosh other organizations because they have the political power. Yeah, they have all the rhetoric. I mean, we see that across the board. You know, we see the the colonial rhetoric coming from them in their nationalistic wave flag waving is that they want to own the flag. They want to own the term. They want to talk about constitutions. They want to talk about citizenship. What they don't want to talk about is land stewardship. They don't want to talk about, you know, habitat protection. They don't want to talk about ceremony space. Anything that that you would think would be the natural vocabulary of indigenous people, the things that our value system should be geared towards, like you said, people of the land, that vocabulary should roll and come through in in what we do in the mandates that we seek in the, the memorandums that we sign. What you see is exactly the opposite, you know. Yeah. If I if this if we shifted this to another you know a European land based conversation we'd be talking about people who are what looking for their own country because they want to have their own flag, they want to have their own language, they want to have their own you know constitution, they want to have their own citizenship rights. Well, these are people. This is these are all colonial constructs for self identification. Absolutely, it doesn't you know as indigenous people where should our identity flow from? What should flow from the land and from the water? You know, from our, our two-legged, four-legged wing friends and family. That's that's where identity comes from as Indigenous people. But that's not the conversation of the vocabulary in, in the last week that I saw on social media. Absolutely. And and I think that's a really great point as to where this, this is coming from. This is coming from a very colonial perspective. Uh, you have colonially educated PhDs who may or may not themselves identify as Indigenous. Uh, you have colonial lawyers. You have uh, people who are have a vested interest in you know buddying up with the colonial government. All of them are trying to dictate this conversation when the conversation, as you just said, should should flow from the people, from the ground up. From, you know, the term grassroots, I think gets way overused, but from the grassroots people, people that are on the land, people that are, you know, staring at their Cree neighbors and their Blackfoot neighbors and their, you know, uh, you know, in, in our territory, there's Sutana and, and all these people. The ones who look at those neighbors saying, you know, our, our, our identity comes from what's underneath our feet here. Those are the people that should be dictating the conversation and they're not. And I think that's a very huge point. And it shows us where where this conversation is going. You know, when we talk about, you know, coining the term and trying to copyright the term Métis Nation as a nationalistic uh, push, how does that work with Indigenous identity? Because that's not an Indigenous construct. You know, we look at, yeah. at all the words that Indigenous people use to describe themselves. You know, you, you look at, at it, what does it mean? It means we're the people the people of the land, right? The people of this place. And yet when we fighting over the term Métis and who has the authorization or the pedigree or the blood quantum to use that term, well, where did that term come from? Is that how we described ourselves? No, that's how colonial people slurred us. And we've come to try to fight over the slur. There, there's so much to this this conversation. I mean, there's 
you know, the, the Métis National Council is, is quick to say, we're, we know who we are. And yet clearly they don't because they keep cutting people out and bringing people in and cutting them out and, and, and things like that. They, they don't know who they are. Um, so I think very much within, within those organizations, they're having somewhat of an identity crisis. Um, but I think they're doing the best they can to be a colonial version of, of Métis government. I don't believe this is at all what Riel had envisioned, was a very excluding, very trademarked <laughs> government. Um, I, I, you, you can't tell me that was Riel's vision, is that one day he would trademark the Métis flag. Not at all. I, I don't believe that, and I never will. Um, so it's, it's a very mind-boggling conversation, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, it was. I mean, it really was an almost overwhelming week because the propaganda machine, it was at full tilt, mm-hmm. and we saw the fallout. We saw the conversations. We saw people who were bewildered and hurt and people, Métis people, trying to clarify and defend, you know, the, the nationalistic agenda. And, and, you know, in light of First Nation reaction to it, especially in the Blackfoot Territory. And, you know, this whole machine really has gained such momentum that it's almost hard to keep up with the backlash of, of the and this onslaught of media presence. Like you talked about, we have, you know, professors and, and TV talk shows, you know, foisting this conversation. And it's such a flurry that if you're not if you're not offending first nations people by usurping their territory, you're trying to, you know, be an authority on who is and is an indigenous in another region of the country by calling them fakes and frauds. And it's just this nonstop back and forth. Absolutely. And I, I, I don't think it's any, I, you know, surprise that they signed that deal with the Mi'kmaq. I don't think it's a surprise that the MMF was suddenly meeting with the Métis nation of Saskatchewan after, you know, whatever, 40 or 60 years of not meeting. Um, I think you're just seeing a very big political move. And this was like, this was like the jump off point. So it's a flurry of activity. We get lots of messages out. We get huge amounts of press. We'll put all our people to work getting this message out. And then we're going to ride that wave and things will quiet down a bit, but that wave is still going. And it's, I, I think this was a very, very big political move for them, uh, and one that I think was was in the works for quite some time. I think, uh, you know, especially when the Métis Nation of Ontario decided to look at those other communities, um, I think that was kind of the the real starting point of, or maybe it was the the starting point of the final descent into what we have today. Um, well, I, I think you're absolutely right. This has been such a lead up. Um, and I think there's still so many very key things that are in the works that will roll out in the in the months to come under the Liberal government. But the message is clear now. And, and the, the vocabulary and the conversation is set. This is the Métis homeland. Anybody who uses that flag or uses that word is now a fake, a fraud, and a race shifter and is somehow trying to steal something from the Métis nation whether it's the appropriation of the flag, the appropriation of the word Métis, that identity. And so the conversation is now set, and it's going to be a very hostile environment for Eastern Métis moving forward. If you thought it was bad before, we ha- this is it. This is the, the lasting effects of this. It might quiet down, but the conversation is now set. The vocabulary is now in place. And, you know, 
we got to really work hard. I think we got to really consolidate if we're going to try to pull Eastern Métis together to combat this, you know, image problem we got going on. Absolutely. And I think you said it earlier where, you know, Eastern Métis got to look at, at what they're doing and say, you know, we, we are distinct from Red River in, in these ways. Here's how we're distinct, which doesn't make us yet more or less Métis. But I think, you know, you've been saying the whole show you that we need to consolidate all of that in, for the Eastern Métis. And I, I think we have a great opportunity for that. I think there is a huge opportunity to get people to see that, oh, maybe these guys weren't fake Métis or I've even seen the term Fay now coming out. So there's mm-hmm. new terminology coming. But I think especially now you have the opportunity to say that and and to start showcasing um, your culture, your your things, um, and your communities. And we talked about that in one of the previous episodes as well where, you know, Eastern Métis need to step up and they need to start showcasing their culture and stop... Stop fighting with the MNC. Stop bickering with uh, the certain professors. Let them do their thing and get their press. They're going to get it anyway. Uh, you know, decrying it on Facebook isn't going to change anything. What's going to change is if you start being you and start showcasing that and start doing that. And I think you can now. And I think uh, for any organization that wants to be a national organization, which there is a couple of them out there, I think an olive branch needs to be extended to the Métis Nation of Ontario or at least a lot of the communities that are have been ousted and say, look, now that you're not part of the, the cartel, I mean, why don't you join our organization? We're not going to usurp your identity. You're your own community, and let's move forward from there. And I, I think they may see that as a very attractive option just simply because they've been in the cartel and the big machine, and now they're coming out the back end of it. So, Well, there's huge opportunities for to create a, a a federation of like-minded other Métis communities. You know, we have the BC Métis Federation, which has a long-standing, you know, fairly solid organization with a very good membership role. We now have the, the ousted MNO on the outside. It has rights-bearing Métis organization people in it. We need to, you know, start to rally what we know are long-standing historic Métis communities in Quebec. We got to pull our friends out of the wood, woods, as it were, and out of the woodwork to be in to, to really consolidate. We got to put apart. I think we we got to find a way to put a, you know, put a bit at our uh, petty differences and uh, consolidate it because it really is the only way forward. We have a huge opportunity, unprecedented, where we have seen the MNC retract itself and condense and basically like you said earlier kick people to the wind um there's never been a better time than now absolutely and i and i think that's that's always been my i mean that's been the dream of many metis is that metis would actually unite together recognizing that there is geographical differences there's uh, some cultural differences however we're all metis and you know um I mean, there's a quote from Riel where he says, uh, as for the Eastern Canadian provinces, there are many Métis who live there despised while under the Indian label. Their villages are indigenous villages. Their Indian title is just as valid as the Indian title of the Métis in Manitoba. And I mean, I think now might be a good opportunity for those other Métis nation organizations who are maybe on the outskirts to say, 
are we really benefiting from this? Or is there more of a benefit to unifying with other Métis, whether they be Pauli certified or not, is irrelevant. Let's recognize ourselves and work together to be our people and and really and really come together. And if it comes together without the Métis National Council and the few affiliates they have left, then I, is that such a bad thing? I mean, what does the Métis National Council really do for the Métis Nation of Ontario or the Métis Nation of BC? What do they really do? Well, and I think that's a valid point. We have organizations already in place. We already know there's historic communities with leadership involved in Ontario. We know that there's leadership in uh, Nova Scotia. And I think it's time to put aside these individualistic things and realize this opportunity for what it is, is to create a unified front against the MNC. It's going to be very hard for the federal government going coming out of the next election or going into the next election if there was a solid unified other Métis organization with that picked up the slack in these different provinces that was boasting big membership role. If you talked about 30, 40, 50, 100,000 Métis that belong to this new coalesced organization and some of those communities are rights-bearing Métis communities, well, you know, they have real stakeholders. And I think it's not hard and doesn't take a huge stretch of the imagination to see how easily this could be put forward. Absolutely. And I think uh, if we're if we're going to walk away with positives, which we probably should consider now because we're almost two hours in, but I think if we're going to walk away with any positives from this is to look beyond the Métis National Council and, and the few remaining affiliates that it's loyal to and really say, how can we move forward from here to better Métis people on the ground? Métis people living in the communities. And I think it, it starts with coming together and it starts with recognizing that, yes, there are some people in the East that are trying to fake it until they make it. But there are some legitimate claims, just as there are some that are trying to fake it in other provinces and some that are legitimate claims and put down the swords and put down the anger and put down the the animosity and just say, you know what, let's be people together. And I think there is a huge opportunity for that. I think there's there's a lot of positives that, that the people outside of the Métis Nation can take away from this. And I think there's some huge positives that they've, they've sent this message now that they don't represent all rights-bearing Métis. They don't represent um, all Métis in, in the country. Uh, the Métis National Council... Uh, you know, if Ontario stays out uh, in the future, you're down to three provinces, uh, well, maybe four, three in a little bit. Uh, that is not a national organization. That is, a, a, you know, a geographically small portion of Canada. So I, I think this bodes well for anybody that's that's outside of the National, national Council and the cartel. Well, I, yeah, it's like I said before, I think we really have an unprecedented opportunity. Uh, their press machine has given vocabulary and voice to that we as opposition and, and critiquers of the, the status quo in, in the cartel have the ability to move forward. We also have the ability to really begin to start a conversation because it's been picked up by our First Nations relations, especially here in Alberta with the Blackfoot, about 
how Métis people coexist within traditional territory. We've been given the vocabulary because of the actions of the MNC to do a, 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 recon a good job of reconciliation between Métis people and our First Nations relations and what that should actually look like. We have an excellent opportunity because of the conversation starter that this has been. Absolutely. And we and, and like you said, as Métis people, we have an unprecedented opportunity to begin to rally our communities from our diversities, whether they're in Quebec and they're French speaking or whether in the Maritimes or whether they're in Ontario or Alberta or wherever, the disenfranchised need to find that mojo, that's whatever it is going to be to, you know, drive forward and work together. Absolutely. And, and I think that's, uh, I'm, I, I think these are all, in a, in a certain regard, these are all positives that we can take away from this. Um, and I think, uh, I don't, I don't have any illusions as to what the cartel is going to do moving forward. They're going to move forward to try to get whatever they can for themselves, uh, and try to make sure nobody else gets any. And that's, that's what they do. That's what they've done. That's what they've always done. Um, so there's no illusion there. So I think really we got to look beyond that and say, as Métis people, there is, there is a huge opportunity. And, and I would love to see that happening. I would love to see Métis people start realizing that they have the th the full power and control and authority in this situation and that these so-called leaders, they don't have that power. They are just simply non-profit corporations. They are not well, governments. I, and take that absolutely. back. And I, I think the time is now because the longer we let yes. this conversation go on, the longer we let them have this vocabulary, the longer with this race shifting, you know, bogus card producing fake people, you know, narrative goes on and there's not a pushback, the more it becomes a reality. And so I think this opportunity has a time shelf. I think we're, we're on a time capsule here. We better, we better go while the clock's still ticking because it's going to run out. Because it's like everything, if you say a lie long enough, often enough, to enough people, it becomes the truth. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's a good way to end the show tonight. Um, I know it's been a long show, but I mean, there was so much to cover. And, and honestly, I feel like we could uh, do another two-hour show just delving into more of the idiosyncrasies of some of these things, like the the opposition to UNDRIP and things like that. So, I, you know, perhaps the oh. next five shows we have will be written for us. <laughs> Well, and there was so many comments, so many conversations, so many Métis people and First Nations people, and so many leaders uh, of the MNC organization that were on social media this last week. If we had time to go into each one of them and, and what they said, we, we no. would be here till next week. We'd no. be here till next week. Absolutely. It is so, there was so much. Like, uh, it, it was impossible to even keep up with it all. I mean, I went on to Twitter at one point. I had like 37 notifications, and it was only like a couple of hours since I'd last been on there. Like, it was insane. Um, but I think that speaks volumes as to the, the impact that this, you know, little innocuous map has made. And um, I think they used the map to try to hide a lot of some of the other things they were saying, to try to overshadow some of the other press they got so they could slip those messages out without such as a big fury about them. But uh, over the next few weeks to come, I'm I'm assuming that we'll probably see even more rhetoric. Um, we'll see more of those PhDs running around using terms like race shifting and stuff. Only now they're going to be applying them to what used to be 
Métis Nation members. Um, so it, it'll be very interesting to see the next couple of weeks what happens and how everything continues to shake out. And as always, we'll be here to talk about it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think we're we're good for the night. Uh, you got any last final thoughts you want to leave us with, Jason? Not specifically, but uh, I think, you know, uh, I really hope people have uh, listened to the whole show and really walk away from here wondering um, what can they personally do? Where can they put their support? How can they get involved to be a force for change for the next seven generations? Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. So for both Jason and I, uh, if you like the show, head over to Patreon and sign up and, and support us and help us grow the show. Uh, if you have any comments or questions, you can leave them on social media or you can send us an email at metispodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, until next week's folks, uh, we'll see how the Métis world blows up this next week. But until then, the jig is up. starting a fire that will spread across this land. And it will be a fire that doesn't burn, but a fire that cleanses, a fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light. No more living in darkness. Our time now